Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So Cornelius, this man, he's a Roman centurion, and he's a righteous man. He apparently has a heart for God, very similar to the centurion that Jesus met in Luke chapter 7, and he was from the Italian cohort. That's the name referred to his unit. Verse 2, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So Cornelius was a godly man, and his faith was evident by this generosity to others. And he was also known for praying continually. We are going to see Cornelius in heaven. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. So God gives Cornelius a vision. This is God communicating with the Gentiles in visions again, showing that the apostles were not the only recipients of God's supernatural communication. Verse 4, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Cornelius, in this encounter with the angel, he's terrified. So God dispatches an angel and says, hey man, your prayers have been heard. Like Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your hearts to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. we got to remember that God hears our prayers. I think a lot of times we say, you know, God's not listening. You know, he doesn't, doesn't hear what I'm saying. Yes, he does. And in Cornelius' case, he was a man who was serious about God. He was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. And God honors that, and he honored him here as he brought this messenger to him. In verse 5, And now send to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. Go to Joppa and get Simon Peter. So Cornelius, he would have been used to dispatching soldiers. He's a centurion. You know, he's a leader over several soldiers. It's part of his job. But now he's dispatching not on behalf of Rome, but on behalf of God. So he sends a couple of guys to go to Joppa and search out this person named Peter. Verse 6, he's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, this residence probably wouldn't be hard to find because tanners, they would not be allowed to run their business close to the cities because they stink too bad. Tearing the hides off of dead carcasses was something that produced a foul stench, and it was a nasty job. And Peter, being a fisherman, you know, would be kind of used to it. He'd be used to the smell of dead fish and, and all that, and certainly be used to the water. So Peter's hanging out with this guy who's also called Simon. Verse 7, when the angel who had spoke to him departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. So he's got a couple of guys and he's got one of them squared away. Verse 8, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So now they're on their way and they're probably sympathetic to Cornelius's faith because he knew he's a good man. Verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop at the sixth hour to pray. This is about noon. So Peter is going up to offer up prayer and the soldiers are on their way. And Peter has no idea what's going on. He's just going up to pray as he likely did continually. Verse 10, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing for it, he fell into a trance. So he's up on the roof and he falls into a trance, or as the original word ecstasis, where we get our word ecstasy came from, he's in this strange experience. And he's getting ready to receive a vision from God. Verse 11, and he saw heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Verse 12, 
and in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So these are animals, including unclean animals. The Jews could not eat certain animals because Allah declared them unclean. And in this vision, there's a whole mess of unclean animals. Verse 13, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's like, No, man, this is, this is not me. I've never done this. He would not have willingly violated that part of the law. Verse 15, And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. So now Peter understands that for some reason, God wants him to eat animals that were formerly declared unclean, but now God has cleansed or declared them clean. Verse 16, And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. So just like when Jesus restored Peter on the shore after the resurrection, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know, I love you. He said that three times. Peter denied Jesus three times, so Jesus restored Peter three times. Well, here in this vision, it happens three times. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So here's Peter on the roof. He's trying to figure out what in the world does this mean? What is this vision implying? I don't get it. It didn't make sense. And then there's a knock at the door. Verse 18, and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Simon the Tanner, he's a businessman, and he's hosting Peter the Apostle. So Peter's come under his roof, and and there's a cultural thing here. You come under my roof, I protect you. That was kind of the expectation. And suddenly, there are Roman soldiers at the door asking for Peter. You talk about awkward. What do you think Simon the Tanner was doing? Uh, why do these guys want Peter? How did the Romans know Peter was at my house? And what do they want with him? He probably just stood there for a minute, perplexed, like Peter was. Peter's all perplexed up on the roof. Simon's now at the door, perplexed, talking to these soldiers. You know, do I dime out Peter, or do I lie and risk getting my house torn down and then getting killed by the Romans? Verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Remember, the two soldiers and then the one devout soldier. Verse 20, rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So the Holy Spirit tells Peter, hey, I sent a couple guys to you. Go down and talk to them. Don't worry. Verse 21, and Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? So Simon the Tanner, he's probably hyperventilating at this point. And Peter comes up and identifies himself and asks why they're there. So the Holy Spirit, he had told Peter, he sent these two men. So Peter was probably surprised because we remember Jesus saying, hey, they're going to persecute you. You're going to go before kings. You're going to go before leaders and all this stuff. And now Peter's looking at these guys that somehow found out that Peter was staying there. Of course, we know that the Holy Spirit told him that. But I think right at the beginning, Peter's probably going, oh, no. Verse 22, and they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. Peter's probably sitting there going, what? Run that by me again? Yeah, okay, come on in. Let's, let's chat, guys. Verse 23, so they invited him in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away, and some brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Roman soldiers and Jews in the same house? It's kind of strange. Peter had to be thinking to himself, this is just getting more and more bizarre. And the next day they rally up with a few brothers and they go to Caesarea with the soldiers. Verse 24, and on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Verse 25, then Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. 
verse 26. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Cornelius, look, man, we all worship the same God. Don't worship me. That's wrong. I'm just a guy. And there's a good lesson for believers here. When someone asks you to come to their house, and when you enter and they roll out the red carpet, we must always point the glory to Jesus. We are nobodies in this world, but because we know God, he has given us life. And some people see that and they think of us higher than they ought to. Years ago, I met a Sudanese family. They're refugees. And they had uh, some really difficult things going on in their lives. And I asked him, I told him I was a believer. This was at work. And I said, do you want us to come pray for you? And they're like, oh, yes, please. And so they were believers. So at church, I said, hey, would anybody be interested in going down to this apartment and praying for this family? And there's a few people that said, yeah. So we went down there and we knocked on the door and we were all just ordinary nobodies. I just had a love for these people right when I met them. They opened up that door and they immediately were in that place like where Cornelius was, where we're not worthy for you to come in. I'm like, look, we're just a bunch of nobodies. And we came in and they treated us like royalty, you know, and I was ashamed because they were such honest, humble people. And here I was just doing what God told me and they're treating me so good. So we got to be careful about receiving that kind of praise and really deflect it up to Jesus. God doesn't share his glory with anybody. Verse 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. So they're in the Gentile centurion's home. And Jews did not go into Gentiles' homes. That was not kosher at all. But Peter knew something. He knew the Holy Spirit had sent him on this task. And the walls of separation were beginning to break down between Jew and Gentile. And at Cornelius' home, he had his family and his friends gathered. Peter walks in, he's like, okay, we have a little congregation here. Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, another nation referring to Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter got the vision. Gentiles are no longer unclean. Peter says, hey, you know, you realize this is wrong according to my law. You know a lot about the Jewish customs. And Cornelius is probably going, yeah. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit had reminded Peter of what Jesus said in John 16 when he said, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And he's referring there to the Gentiles. There's no division in the true church. The family of God is not about us. It's not about our race. It's not about our culture. It's not about our language. It's about Jesus. Children of God belong to him, period, with no distinctions. We're all one family. We need to get that through our heads. And in these days, I think God is shaking up the church and bringing all this drama upon the church for the reason that we've done a bad job of putting up walls when Jesus broke them all down. Verse 29, Peter's continuing. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. You know, look, Cornelius, I'm, I'm doing this. I didn't object to it. I said, okay, I'm obeying God. Then he says, I ask then, why have you sent for me? What do you want? What can I do for you? Why am I here? Verse 30, and Cornelius begins to explain his vision. He says, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing verse 31, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, 
a tanner by the sea. Verse 33. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Oh, so God set up a church service. So this is what happened, Peter. You're supposed to tell us what God's put on your heart, so please speak. There's a lesson here for us. You know, Peter didn't have the time to gather his thoughts or study the scriptures or prepare a PowerPoint or anything like that. What he was expected to do is simply go with what the Holy Spirit was teaching him. Namely, the Gentiles are now going to be a part of the family of God, just like the Jews, and they will have equal standing before God. When we walk with Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't simply have to preach to people. Rather, we share Jesus, what he's doing in our lives and in the lives of others. The Holy Spirit will speak through us and put into our minds the words that are fitting for that moment. We've got to remember that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is speaking through his people. But the main obstacle is our unwillingness to step out in faith and share with the Corneliuses of the world. You know, he's different. He's a Gentile. Why should I have to speak to him? Someone else can do it. You know, like Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when God said, this is what I want you to do. Moses like, I ain't doing that. And they get into this tiff and God gets angry with Moses and he has to tune him up. We can have the same thing going on in our lives. God's got something very cool that's coming. He says, hey, I want you to do this. I don't want to do that. That's scary. That's inconvenient. Or, you know, I got to do this. God's like, no, this is an opportunity. Peter, go with him. And Peter did. Peter was faithful. And I think by now Peter understood, you know, if the Holy Spirit's leading me somewhere, I'm going. That's a good place to be. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does right is acceptable to him. Wow. The family, the friends, the gathering of all these Gentiles, when they heard those words, hey, listen, it's not about being Jewish. It's not about the feasts. It's not about the temple. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about anyone who fears him and does what is right. You are acceptable to him. Notice, anyone who fears him, that's faith. That's that faith that brings into our mind, I do not want to fail God. I want to obey him combined with doing what's right, those two things, faith and works. As James said in chapter 2, verse 18, but some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, what I do testifies to what I believe. And these people likely, well, Cornelius, we know, they were searching for God, trying to do what's right, trying to believe, knowing that we're just not right. We're not in that place to be accepted. We're second-class citizens, if you will, in the kingdom of God. We want to be right with God. You know, we don't want to be second-class. We want to be like you guys. And Peter's like, man, you know what? God just showed me. He shows no partiality. You believe in him, you fear him, and you do what's right, you will be accepted. Verse 36, as for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. They're in Caesarea. Okay, Caesarea is in in the area of Israel. I mean, it's part of that region. And when John the Baptist came, he was all over the place. People knew about John the Baptist. People knew about him everywhere. There were people coming from all over the place. So he's beginning with, hey, the move of God began with John the Baptist. You remember him. Yeah, yeah, we remember that guy. And what he proclaimed, verse 38, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him 
on a tree, not from a tree, but they're talking about the cross. They refer to the cross as a tree. Verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Verse 41, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He delivers the same message, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. He didn't have to go into a whole lot of detail. He said, it's all about this Jesus of Nazareth who came, who died, who rose again. We are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So Peter is now a spokesperson for Jesus declaring the truth of the gospel. This is what God wanted him to tell them. It's all about Jesus. He's been appointed judge of the living and the dead. He rose again. Verse 43, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So this isn't some newly contrived program. The prophets spoke of Jesus long ago. It's been the plan of God all along to grant forgiveness through his name. As a matter of fact, back in the garden, there's that phrase, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the devil, basically. That seed of the woman is talking about Jesus. So right when mankind blew it, back in the garden, the plan was already initiated. I'm going to fix what you guys have screwed up. I'm going to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. That's what happened at the resurrection. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. He's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 I'm not done. They're all hearing it, and all they needed to do was to receive the Holy Spirit. So God's like, you know, step aside, Peter, you know, you're done. Boom, the Holy Spirit descends, and evidently it was noticeable. Verse 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And that gift of the Holy Spirit, remember back in Acts chapter 8, you're praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's after you believe, after you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Upon believing, you're baptized into the family of God, the body of Christ. Then you believe, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then as a sign of that, or a declaration of that new faith, you're water baptized. And then they prayed for them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, empowering them to do the work that God had called them to do. And so God's kind of pushing Peter out of the way, and he's like, let's just get to the gift part. They already believed. They hadn't been baptized. It wasn't convenient because they're all in this group. But they get the whole shebang right there. They already had the faith. They get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 46, for they were all hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Here's that weird gift again. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? There was no doubt these were now believers, children of God, adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus. So Peter's like, yeah, we got to get him baptized. We kind of missed that part. And they needed to be baptized because baptism was commanded by Jesus. It's not necessary for salvation. We know that. In other words, you can go to heaven without being baptized. I mean, the thief on the cross had no opportunity to be baptized, yet Jesus promised him that he would be with him in paradise. So it wasn't necessary for salvation. But right away, Peter's like, we got to baptize you guys. Man, we got to do this. And so God changed things up for the Gentiles. They believed, then they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter knows now it's time to take the plunge. Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him, to remain for some days. So we don't have an account of their baptism, but it's obvious that they got baptized. But here again, you're seeing something that is so powerful and so relevant for today. They didn't go up to the synagogues because they couldn't. They didn't 
know what to do, but they knew God was there. And Cornelius was a man who somehow had something in him that they trusted. He had that faith, and they saw that in him. But he, realizing his own inadequacy, he's like, God, please, can you give me some direction? And that's probably what his prayer was all about. God, can you please help me know you and figure out how to do this? I remember that as an unbeliever, as I came into a church, and I'm sitting there and realizing, you know what, this is true. I get it. I feel the Holy Spirit stirring in me. It's not an emotional thing. It was something very different. It was some innate sense in me that was calling me. And I'm like, I don't know what to do, man. What do I do, Lord? And I just kind of prayed, uh, God, uh, you know, I don't know how to do this, but, uh, you know, can you help me? And that's a legit prayer. Jesus, help me. And he'll hear that and he will help you. So Cornelius got his prayers answered. And as a result, there's a whole bunch of people not only did they get saved, they got the gift of the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in tongues, praising God. And it was just a glorious moment. And Peter is probably just numb going, wow, look at what God can do. And you know, Peter saw that because he was obedient, because he was praying, number one. He was walking with the Lord. He was obeying God in his calling. And when the Holy Spirit said, Peter, go, he went. And when we have a relationship with God where we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we're hearing the voice and we're responding, we're going to see this kind of stuff. That's the beauty of ministry. And I feel bad for all those people that are in ministry that are not focused on Jesus. They're focused on the ministry. And if God calls them to do something, they're like, I'll try to do this. I'll try to do that. I'm busy right now, but let me see if I can make that happen. Man, when we obey and we're walking in faith, you know, God does the coolest things. So now Peter, he sees this whole world change. The Gentiles are now part of the family of God. Thank you.